You're listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we firmly believe that love is the answer and we are spreading it like wildfire. You're invited to come spend time with us in authentic connection, growth, reflection, and celebration. Life coach, author, and speaker, Abigail Gazda, will be sharing amazing humans living their hearts unleashed to inspire you to do the same. You will hear from men, women, and young people from all industries sharing their insights and inspiration as they have paved their way to their fullest lives. Here at the Hearts Unleashed podcast, we are turning dreamers into doers. So if you are ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. All right, you are listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast where we are turning dreamers into doers. And I have a very special friend here today with you guys. We are talking to Timothy Samadhi Demi, who has been coaching for 15 years as a part of a 25-year journey of self-discovery, walking hand in hand with the divine more and more each day and continuing to extend his hand to others and all as a ministry. He has been a coach and been my coach, and I'm very grateful for that. I met Timothy back in 2016 and have been watching and observing his being really and witnessing mm-hmm. the work he does in the world. And it's been such an honor to work with him to help uncover, to really find who we are, who I am, and what the work that he does with other people, finding out who we are individually and collectively to really unbecome who we've been made to be in this world to really become who we came to be in this world. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Timothy. Thank you so much, Abigail. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Please tell us a little bit about this 25-year journey that you've had. Well, I could say that it started with finding myself in a place where I uh, thought I knew where I was going, but I didn't know anymore. And uh, and so I just started searching, and that search uh, included lots of different avenues, you know, some uh, explicitly spiritual, others not so much. I guess eventually that led to the discovery of coaching. I've been on that part of the journey for the last 15 years uh, since being trained formally as a coach. And then um, in hindsight, I would say that uh, for the first 10 years of that coaching journey, there was something out of alignment for me about uh, calling myself a life coach and what I do is Mm -hmm. life coaching. Mm -hmm. And then um, so the last approximately five years have been about uh, discovering uh, what it was that was out of alignment. And uh, in a nutshell, I would say what was that an an explicit spiritual component an explicit faith component, not, not only a component, uh, actually, a as a, as a foundation Mm. for coaching faith as a foundation for coaching is, is what was missing for me. So that's been uh, the journey the last five years in particular. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, something that you said that really, struck me was I knew where I was going and then I didn't know where I was going. And I think that when, especially in our adulthood, we get get out of school, we probably get some degree that really, you know, would, would seem to give us direction, or maybe we are, we've made it to 
a title that we really wanted or something. So we thought we knew where we were going. And then once we're there, it's like, eh, maybe not. Um, do you notice that you coach a lot of people from that perspective that, you know, all of a sudden they may have attained what they want and then that seems to change? To some degree, yes. And uh, as you well know, even more so, I'm inviting people to, so I think the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And to explain that further, uh, I would say that the the question that I'm inviting people to ask of themselves is, uh, who is it that uh, wanted what you wanted? Who is it that had the goals that you had and are now dissatisfied with them or uncertain of where to go next? Mm-hmm. And that's a bit of a strange question to ask, but what I mean by that is that, uh, as you were saying, that, uh, this journey is more about unbecoming, mm-hmm. you know, unbecoming who we've been made to be uh, as a product of our circumstances and uh, actually so more so uh, as a, a, a un- unraveling ourselves yeah. uh, such that um, we're making choices about where we're headed in life and what we want in life from a, a more authentic place. I love that. Uh, and I agree with you. <laughs> and I love yeah, right. Good, good. And so I, I love that because you, you asked about like the who, right? And we're currently, uh, as I shared with you before we started, we're currently in the middle of the mortality series. And so we're talking about death and endings, purposeful and unintentional or unplanned. And so talking about that, the who that you're referencing, what do we do with that who once we're not that who anymore? <laughs> What my wonderful question, one of my favorite topics, um, and of course I have an owl behind me, which people won't be able to see, but uh, I do love asking who, I love asking who. So what do we do with the who that there is to leave behind? And and just to, you know, reiterate or explain again that um, one of my favorite topics is, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a a bit of, um, of a preface before I respond to your question exactly. Beautiful. Uh, one of my favorite topics is grief and grieving for personal transformation. There's this whole world, there's this whole spectrum of loss that, uh, that there is for us as humans to grieve. And I would say that that spectrum starts with actual, tangible, real losses, like the, you know, the loss of a life, the loss of uh, relationships, the loss of jobs, the loss of income, uh, the loss of being able to go to the gym, being able to meet up with friends and, and, and hug them. Like these are all actual tangible real losses. And then if we move further on that spectrum towards the intangible, there are uh, all kinds of intangible losses, such as um, the loss of, of a sense of power, the loss of any sense of control, the loss of certainty, the loss of knowing, loss of confidence, all kinds of intangible losses that um, are real losses and then I say must be grieved to go beyond them. And still further down the spectrum of intangible losses, I would say that there are roles, that we lose roles. You know, when we become unemployed, we lose the role of being employed or a breadwinner, perhaps, like losing the role of a 
being the breadwinner can be devastating or or even when we make an intentional an intentional shift for example uh moving from being a, a professional woman to being a mother a stay-at-home mother that's an int that you know th that might be a very intentional choice and there is still the loss of that previous role same with uh you know someone who retires that's an intentional choice and there still is the loss of the previous role so i would say that mm. even uh, you know, roles are another example of uh, uh, intangible losses that there are for us to grieve. And still, now to get to your question, like, what do we do with the who that there is to leave behind? Um, so I say that uh, more directly important or more explicitly important than all these other kinds of grief and grieving uh, is the is the loss of uh, the character that we've been, the identity that there is for us to leave behind mm. uh, in order to move into uh, the unlived life, in order to move into more of the life that we would live from our authentic selves. Mm -hmm. So having given all of that preface, <laughs> you know, what there is to do with the who that there is to leave behind is to to grieve that character, to grieve that identity, the the character that got us this far in life, the character that has given us the successes that we've had, the character that has impeded us often, because typically most of the time we're uh, who we are operating from, as you said earlier, is someone that uh, uh, was made up in response to our circumstances. Mm. For the moment, wrap up here, what there is to do is to grieve the yes. character or identity that uh, that we are leaving behind in order to move into a uh, more expanded or maybe even just more true, a truer version of self. Mm. I love what you shared. There's so much gold in what you shared and, and what we can do, where it comes from, how it's formulated, and then also like such how subtle it exists, right? Because you mentioned lost in the form of like the tangible, the intangible, some of the roles. And as you were sharing that, I was really present to the concept of separation, right? Because like you said, even when you seem or feel at choice about ending a career, maybe retiring, or you choose a breakup or whatever that may be, when you end a phase, there's ultimately still a feeling of separation. And there's a natural sadness that's like right under the surface, you know, because you may be trying to focus on the, the, the silver lining of it as like, okay, new phase, but there's still that ending of something that's familiar or predictable or comfortable in a sense. And so um, I heard, I heard, I was hearing separation in what you were saying, which to me also sounds like the same, same other side of the same coin is an invitation to practice detachment. Uh, what would your... How would you describe detachment and, and that concept? I guess I would say like the very first thought that I have is that uh, detachment is only possible through grieving. Mm. And you pointed to, I heard you pointing to uh, what I consider to be the two essential components to grieving. And I want to acknowledge that those uh, essential components come from uh, Stephen Levine, mm -hmm. um, and in particular his book uh, called Unattended Sorrow, where mm. he says that the two essential components for grieving 
are finding the gift, which you pointed to when you spoke of the seeing that being able to see the silver lining um, and feeling the feelings, uh, mm-hmm. which again you spoke to when you know you spoke of sadness along with you know a load of other feelings that might be there like anger and regret and resentment and and uh, and everything else. So uh, I would say that uh, I would say that detachment um, only comes from grieving in in that way, both uh, being able to find the gift, see the silver lining in the loss itself, uh, and feel fully everything that there is to feel about the loss as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you kind of went there because I was going to say, teach us how to grieve. I know we have like a 30, 40 minute conversation, but teach us how to grieve, Timothy. (laughs) Well, I think the... um, that is a great question, by the way, Abigail. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, uh, I enjoy softball too. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, because uh, whether it's real or intangible losses, it seems like most of us uh, don't know how to grieve very well. It's something that's not really celebrated much in our culture or it doesn't seem to be valued very much, at least overtly. And uh, so we mostly just don't learn how to grieve. Um, along with uh, Stephen Levine, um, maybe my next favorite author about uh, grief and grieving is Martin Prechtel uh, and his book in particular, The Smell of Rain on Dust, Grief and Praise. They come from really, really different perspectives, but fundamentally I would say that they're, they're talking about the same thing. They're talking about the two same components of grieving, feeling the feelings and praise and or, or finding the gift. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the finding the gift part, um, yeah, I haven't really, that, that, that seems to me to be pretty much straightforward, but maybe it's not, maybe we can, I might have to think about that one some more. Yeah. But the, the feeling the feelings part seems to be a very, very individual, very individual type thing. On the one hand, Stephen Levine, when he talks about feeling the feelings, he's talking about, uh, he's, he's referring to a particular method of, of meditation uh, or a, an ability, I would say, that that type of meditation allows for or provides for us where the feelings can be felt on a, in, a, in a very internal way uh, it's a process that is very introspective, individual, again, internal. Whereas uh, Martine Prechtel, uh, who comes from a, uh, a Native American tradition and specifically uh, from a, um, a Mayan tradition, a particular Mayan tradition, I don't know if this extends throughout all of the Mayan people, but a, a, in a particular Mayan tradition where uh, grieving is like feeling the feelings is very expressive. It is mm-hmm. communal. It's about, you know, it's doing it out loud and with others. Very, very, very different. Like the exact opposite pretty much of what Stephen Levine talks about. And so what that says to me is there's really, there is no right, wrong, right or wrong way to do it, but to, uh, you know, to, to find your way. Yeah. Uh, that when it's so good, it's so good because of how individualized it really is. And when you were sharing that, I was thinking about people who get locked in loss, 
or locked in grief because they like maybe have don't have the facility to fully grieve because I remember you know in our coaching we discussed lamenting and it Mm -hmm. feels like a truly expressive way to actually and what I use with my clients or the term that I like to say is drain the well right maybe we feel some of the feelings but we don't like go all the way in or we don't let it all the way out so there's still this like stagnant water that sits and you know sits around our heart and and so we we can't seem to complete the experience. Do you Mm -hmm. have any insight around that? The thought that I'm having is that it has to, because I think you used the phrase locked in loss. Was that what you said? Yeah. Um, And what occurs to me is that it actually has to do with um, not being able to recognize who it is that felt the loss. And again, this is weird talk, so I try to be more plain about it. No, you're um, doing great. Uh, the, our listeners, they get all this talk all the time, twice a week. So you just keep on keeping on. <laughs> okay, sweet. So um, yeah, I would say that if we are if we are locked in the experience of loss, then we are uh, unresolved with um, ourselves, meaning that who it is, the character, the identity that is locked in that loss is not our true identity. It's a made-up identity. It's a contrived identity. And when I say made-up and contrived, I mean it's mostly we're mostly unaware of it. We we contrive these identities as, you know, when we're in a, when we're in our single digits in response to the circumstances our, of our lives that we uh, literally or at least figuratively uh, must find some way to survive. And so we uh, contrive of a, a way to, you know, to cope with those circumstances, to uh, to adapt to those circumstances, to overcome those circumstances, even to even to produce results. Like um, these, you know, these contrived identi- identities, they can serve us fairly well uh, beyond just, you know, literally or figuratively saving our lives and. Um, and so I would say that uh, uh, if we are locked in loss, then it has to do with not identifying the contrived character who is experiencing the loss. I love that. And which totally leads to, because when I like that you use contrived identities and, and that survival concept, because what we've built up in the podcast is ego, identifying our ego identities and, mm-hmm. and being willing to let those go and let and release them or literally have a, you know, murder session, like they got to die, they got to really go and grieve them, right? But then ultimately only to become a more authentic version, only to unleash our hearts more fully. So what about that transition? Because you facilitate that transition quite often for people. I do. And I must protest about the, about, <laughs> the, mur- about the murder part. That is exactly, that's exactly what we want to do. And that is exactly yeah. what has those characters, those egoic identities, uh, hanging on for dear life, holding on with a death grip, I would say is because we mostly we, if we ever become aware of them, we don't become aware of them until they are not only getting in our way, but often actively harming us to be living out of that egoic identity. And so yes, absolutely, we must uh, grieve the loss of what it has cost us to be 
uh, mm -hmm. living out of that identity long past its usefulness. Because uh, mostly, you know, uh, often, you know, the, the, the circumstances of our childhood end at some point, but then we continue to live out of these identities for years, sometimes decades afterwards. And so, yes, there is, there are, you know, decades of, of, of loss to feel. Um, and that is what has us mostly wanting to murder those characters, but those characters will not go away. I say that those characters will not go away unless we properly acknowledge them, unless we properly honor them for the actual real true value that they have provided. And, and if we do not genuinely become aware of uh, the, the, the value that they provided, even if it was only the, even if it was only the meagerest value for the shortest period of time, if we do not genuinely honor that, that they will not go away. They'll hang on for dear life. Amen. I love that you shared that because, you know, it keeps us in that victim mentality. We are still a prisoner of that perspective if we want to resist or hate that identity when, when it actually was a part of us that helped us survive at some point, right? And like you, I like how you said it's long past due that it's been able to stick around or be part of your decision-making abilities or things of that nature. Or and driving the, the bus. Driving the bus right off the cliff time and time again, right? Right. <laughs> and going like grieving the cost. And then what I, my mind, when I hear cost, I also hear impact because it's not just on our life, right? It has this ripple effect when we act from our ego and it, and then when we are able to actually identify it, we are not it, we are actually observing it. We can see what it has done and begin to create that detachment so we can actually release it. But without, I love how you said, without acknowledging what it has done for you, you're still it within like it's still going to hang on i like how you said grip on i think grip for dear life or <laughs> yeah death grip uh-huh <laughs> yes yeah the death grip <laughs> and so how can we honor that identity in order to release it and I, and i'd like to add uh add uh another bit to the part about these identities and honoring them and recognizing their value it can be really difficult uh, to, because some of these characters are really, really ugly and really, really distorted and warped and even grotesque. Like, um, um, you know, I was talking with someone the other day and I, I don't recall the exact circumstances, but um, the way for, <laughs> the way we were talking about um, uh, the, the the character who survived the circumstances of their childhood was like the idea of you know it's better to be covered in you know covered in warm poop than to have no no affection whatsoever you know than to have no totally. no warmth no warmth whatsoever totally and so some of these characters are really, really grotesque looking in it, and they can be hard to look at and hard to imagine that we ever were anything that ugly or preposterous or grotesque uh, that, that we uh, ever became that way uh, for any good purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and 
uh, it, it, it's true. Like if, if, if we're, one of the things that I find is that, um, you know, if we're unwilling to really look at how ugly and grotesque some of these characters are, that um, it's because we are still in their grip. It's mm-hmm. because we're still in the grip if we're if we if if we're unwilling to to look at uh, we're we're yeah I think um, that's what I'd say about that and then and what then was your question to, after that yeah no it's perfect because how so it is difficult to witness why they would ever be of value or how you know where what what good could it have ever been and how do we f- shift into honoring it so that we may appropriate release it yeah this isn't the only way to do it but i find that uh a really good way to do it is to is to is to name the character Mm -hmm. and um identify some of its traits and um and then take a look at like to you know to go back in our lives and see where that character has operated and has uh uh will probably be look initially be looking back and seeing all of the places where it caused us harm Mm -hmm. caused difficulty caused loss um but then going back and seeing if if we can find um where it also uh provided value or or benefited us as well so like the a threefold process is uh, might look like naming it um and again there's usually some uh you know really contorted it, it it's a the the these characters have a contorted they're contorted versions of multiple qualities so uh let's see i identified one i identified one for myself the other day it was um something like a cry baby crusader mm-hmm and and so then actually drawing it like creating some sort of image of it whether it's hand drawn or or painted or you know creating some sort of image of it and then also writing some sort of a tribute to it might look like a eulogy it might look like a retirement speech um because it, again it's it's really not necessarily about the character dying there might even still be times in our lives when you know that character we might want to pull out that character by choice it could be useful um uh so it's not necessarily about killing off the character uh to some degree it's about dismantling dismantling the character because these i would say that these characters are kind of like an an aggregation of qualities an aggregation of traits yeah Uh, like a and um if we don't dismantle them, it can be difficult to choose any one of those traits without choosing the whole uh, <laughs> aggregate. And, um, you know, and so if I need to, uh, if I need to call on strength, then I don't want to have to also call on, you know, independence and rebelliousness and everything else that goes along with strength according to that character so yeah so again you know maybe a eulogy but it's not about killing off the character maybe a a retirement speech um you know uh giving giving that character emeritus status so you know it's still you know it can still speak up but probably won't really give it much regard yeah (laughs) Um, keep going 
uh, yeah, and and well, and the the like, but the the critical part of the tribute is that it includes both what there is to mourn about what that character has cost us, but also what there is to celebrate about what that character has provided. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And thank you for some of the like the very specific tips, like a retirement speech, or I've written written breakup letters. You know, the, yeah. sometimes. Right. And so, but you're so right about getting into shifting from the, that inventory of what it's cost to the inventory of what it's brought us, the benefits, right? The payout there has been, because, you know, my whole book, the memoir of a quitter, I share the different identities of quitter that I could identify as runner or who was avoidant or, mm. you know, independent and rebellious, but they also were shields of protection or identities of armor, right? That would get me mm. through a really tough time that I had to be braver than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And they allowed me to move through something and create a new reality. And so you're so spot on about how the it's so beneficial as well and i wrote over here about self-mastery the self-mastery that it's required to be able to actually integrate these egos like you said if i need to access my strength i don't need to also bring independence and rebellion with right and so truly accessing the gold that there is when we did learn how to survive and the ways we learned how to survive to use them as tools for thriving in life yeah, and, and when you mention accessing the gold, it reminds me of the conversation about finding the gift in the lost or seeing the silver lining. And and sometimes, um, you know, I'd say that uh, in terms of the two essential components of, of grieving, uh, some of us are usually better at one than the other. Some of us are better at finding the gift or seeing the silver lining. Some are better at uh, feeling the feelings and not so good at, at finding the gift. Some of us are, aren't good at of either at all. <laughs> but, uh, but in terms of, you know, in terms of the gold, um, sometimes the gold can come as a result of feeling the feelings or expressing the emotion and, and so I want to offer too that you know that method that I just talked about. It's like it's it's not the only way. Um, Martin Prechtel in uh, the Smell of Rain on Dust. Uh, he talks in particular about. Uh, I don't recall if he uses this word, but the word I would use is transmutation, like mm-hmm. turning feelings into beauty. So like like um, your artful depiction of the character you know, that you're retiring uh, might be your entire process of like that might be your entire process of, uh, of grieving is to, you know, uh, paint this character or, or writing a song, yeah. like writing a song uh, might be the way to uh, transmute those, all those thoughts and feelings into, into beauty. And like that in itself, like, that in itself is so much gold um that kind of transmutation is is just incomparable gold in itself and i find that uh often on the other side of feeling the feelings like whatever way we do that there is um there's often a, a spaciousness there there's an opening to uh simply be who we are yeah um, and, and I think that kind of goes along with it. it, it it's an interesting 
idea to think about both integration and both unwinding or unbecoming. Uh, they seem maybe opposed to one another, but also one and the same. Yes. And when you were sharing about, about painting or writing, sometimes I like to even speak it you know, and I also very, I'm very ceremonial. So like, I'll, uh, I love me a good bonfire and burning. So yeah. I, that identify yeah. that, that identity. <laughs> so I, what I heard though, is like creative expression, which of course would then start to transition us into being more expressed as ourselves without this identity. And so yeah. this double access point where we're releasing something so lovingly and also discovering more of ourselves that the room that you mentioned, like the space that gets created is all of a sudden yeah. we have a new chance to emerge. And you do this in your ministry work. So I would love for you to share how you support people, how you work with people, and especially more about how you shifted from identifying more as a coach to more the ministry type of work. Okay. Um, and uh, before I answer that question, I, I can't believe that I forgot to mention one of my favorite methods for, you know, memorializing these characters, which is tattoos. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't have a lot of them, but I, ha I do have two in particular that are meant to honor, you know, these characters that they were to leave behind, take out of the driver's seat, put in the back of the bus, and they're, they're, they're warped. Like, they're both angels, mm -hmm. but bizarre looking like just really terrible looking faces in a way so there are these angels with these terrible faces and and one of them for me represents uh leaving behind depression mm. and leaving leaving behind the character of depression leaving de behind the um and 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 it, like this is an example of the one of those weird things like how how could I possibly how could, how could there possibly be any value in depression? How could there, you know, how could that possibly have provided anything for anyone at any time? Well, I will say that, you know, uh, there were times that it was my best friend. Yeah. Now mm -hmm. it continued to be my best friend long after it should have been, but you know, but my uh but uh there was a time when it seemed like uh, you know, that was all that I had to, well, it was reliable. Depression was reliable. Depression was always there. I could always count on depression as a friend. Mm -hmm. um, it might sound weird. It does sound weird. It sounds weird, but uh, I, that's, uh, I, think, I think more people can relate than we would guess. <laughs> okay. Very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other, the other, character that I have a tattoo of is the uh, the character who learned how to be, I would say, who, who knew that, um, who learned how to be manipulative, coercive, forceful in order to, yeah, this is maybe even more particular with regard to, you know, um, how I help people and how I work with people. Like I distinguish for myself that I, for years and years and years for decades like i was operating from this character who felt that the only way the only possible way that he could get what he uh needed much much less what he wanted in life uh was to was to be manipulative and um and uh, coercive and 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 forceful and this was all over uh, this was all under the veneer of being very nice 
you know? And so I think you can imagine uh, what this character might look like, you know? Um, so, so I, you know, so to, to, to segue into answering your question, the way that I work with people is mostly our language, mostly the language that we use reveals where we're coming from in life and how we're operating and our orientation. And uh, we use very particular words to talk about diving in or pushing through or, uh, or the, or, you know, or particular idioms that we use. And as a coach, I'll be like, huh, that's a really particular idiom. Where does that come from? How did you come about that way of doing things and thinking and being? And, 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 and most people are like, well, huh, you know, I don't know. I just always said that. Where did, you know, where did I get the idea that I had to, uh, that I had to uh, push through or, uh, or, um, or dive in or, uh, you know, in the process of speaking with people about, you know, what they're up to and where they want to be headed in life. Um, and, um, you know, and hearing their frustrations about that and where they're getting stuck and how they're getting stopped and, and um, relating back to people the language that they're using and what that might reveal about the character who's running the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, well, and so then there's the whole process of, well, you know, let's root out this character. Where, you know, can you see where that came from that you learned that you had to be strong and determined and, um, you know, uh, never give up no matter what, come hell or high water or whatever the, whatever the context is. Yeah, of course, of course. And so someone, if someone would be interested in either working with you or having a conversation like this, this grief conversation is really, you know, they're there and they'd love to be out of there or move through it. Mm-hmm. How can they reach you? How can they follow what you're putting into the world? Where can we find you on the, in the ethers? I'll say one more thing because I didn't answer uh, this question of yours, and it really is uh, fundamental to the work that I do. Um, you asked about the, the shift in, in my own coaching work to a ministerial approach. Bottom line is that uh, for me, what uh, coaching as a ministry means is that coaching is available to all who are willing, regardless of financial resources. And that faith is fundamental, that the very, that as a foundation, we must pay attention to and, and cultivate and develop our connection with God, with divine, with the source, such that the things we're after in life come, can be inspired, can come through that connection rather than in opposition to that connection. So to answer your question, um, People can reach me through my email, which is exoduscoaching at gmail.com, exodus, E-X-O-D-U-S, coaching at gmail.com. And uh, currently I'm also only, uh, well, uh, I'm available by phone as well, which is area code 802-579-3198. And then lastly, through my uh, Facebook page, which is, Uh, Exodus Coaching Ministry. Perfect. 
Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing this. This conversation is one that I love and I've been so excited to share. I have to share with our audience. I've been wanting you on this podcast since 2017 and this is so exciting. It's literally years in the making. And, you know, I, I love what you say about, you know, you could have done it then or you could have done it before, but now's a good time too. <laughs> Yes, uh, now now is not the time. Uh, earlier would have been better, um, and you know now is no problem. No, now is no problem, and I'm glad it was no problem because uh, being able to talk about grieving and the importance of grieving and how to move through it at a time that we're in right now, and especially in the mortality series, and just really having a very intentional conversation about creating our best life, about living as our fullest selves, about who we came to be and sharing our gifts with the world, because I so appreciate you sharing your gifts with the world and honoring who you came here to be and letting this spirit move through you to serve. So thank you for all that you do in the world as well. Thank you, Abigail. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Hearts. Thank you guys for tuning into the Hearts Unleashed podcast. I hope you got exactly what you need to keep creating the life that you love. So thank you for tuning into the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we are turning dreamers into doers. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you loved the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, head over to heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, hearts.